The Coffee Podcast is sponsored by KitchenAid, whose craft coffee line is changing the way coffee is brewed at home. KitchenAid worked with baristas and coffee experts to engineer a new line of coffee brewers. The KitchenAid Precision Press Coffee Maker enhances the classic French press brewing method with an integrated scale and timer to precisely brew a bold, full-bodied cup of coffee. KitchenAid. Life tastes better with coffee. Coffee Podcast, where our focus is people and our language is coffee. My name is Weston Peterson. And I'm Jesse Hartman. Wes brings the quality. And Jesse brings the cafe. And welcome back to another episode of The Coffee Podcast. Well, Wes, it's not just another episode. We have a very special guest on the show today. That's right. Folks, I want to introduce to you a very special someone in the coffee industry. Some of you may know him, some of you are about to know him. That is coffee professional, consultant, and author, Mr. Scott Rayo. I'm Scott Rayo. I've uh, written several books about coffee making, and currently I, I do consulting for coffee companies all over the world. Um, when I was quite young, 22, I started my first cafe roastery, and I've owned a few companies since then. And uh, the last several years, I've really just devoted to writing and consulting. Right. And, and Scott, some of our listeners are going to know about you. They're going to know about your books. Um, how would you describe yourself to the average coffee drinker? Like the person who's going into shops doesn't know the first thing about coffee. Like, Sure. I mean, my, my position in the industry, in a sense, is someone who uh, is attempting to make coffee brewing and roasting a little bit more methodical or, or scientific and systematic, if you will. Definitely. Yeah. So, so when, when people see, you know, baristas or, or coffee connoisseurs with their scale out and they're measuring each piece of the, of the recipe, you know, that that's, that's what you're about. That's, that's Scott. In a yeah. Sense. That's, that's the kind of stuff that when I did it, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people would mock me and, and now it's kind sure. of become you know, trendy to be a bit of a geek when you make your coffee. Right yeah, on. yeah, that's kind of funny, yeah. So, uh, so Scott, you said that you started your first cafe and roasting company when you were 22. What were you yeah. doing before that? Like, what were your first, um, you know, experiences with coffee? I mean, I, I had worked in a cafe right at the end of university. Um, back then, perhaps it was about 1990. Two or three, I'd met a guy named James Marcotte, who uh, was co-owner of a company in L.A. called um, And And back then, James was really one of the three people in the country who I thought was roasting coffee extremely well. And meeting James and experiencing his coffee really got me into coffee. I'd never really enjoyed coffee before that. And I, and I shouldn't have. I mean, most coffee was was disgusting. Like most coffee back then was worse than Starbucks. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and you know, any anybody with a palate should have had a cup of coffee and said, "Wow, this is vile shit." Right. You know? So, but James's coffee was, as my girlfriend at the time put it, she said, "It's like drinking dessert." His black coffee was just delicious. And wow. um, although I didn't end up working for his company, he was he's a really kind guy, and he he happily took me to uh, to you know, kind of uh, second him while he was roasting and he, and he showed me his systems and what he did. And that, and that kind of 
sparked the interest in roasting and, and doing my own thing. Sure. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind me asking, was was he kind of that major influence on the scientific side of things for you and uh, brewing? You know, James, yes and no. I mean, he's one of the few people I've ever met in coffee who really dove into all of the old literature on roasting and brewing, all the stuff that was written by the um, – uh, oh, shoot, I'm going to forget the name of this uh, – the, the Coffee Brewing Center, which was uh, – kind of an industry-funded research group back in the 50s and 60s. Right. He, he read all that stuff. He read all the stuff put out by the SCAA. He, you know, he'd really done his research. And, and although he wasn't extremely scientific about his coffee making, uh, it was I, still to this day I've, I've met very few people who bothered to read all that background stuff. Uh, people mostly just kind of ignore it or think it doesn't have relevance. And, and yet that stuff is really the foundation of what makes, uh, you know, good roasting, good brewing. Was that Ernest Earlhart? Was that was that the guy's name or Earnhardt? Uh, it's not. I think it's oh, shoot. Is it? Is yeah. E E Lockhart? Oh, yeah, Lockhart. Yeah, yeah, there Lockhart. we go. E. Yeah, Lockhart. yeah, yeah. We we mentioned him not too long ago on the podcast, actually. Yeah, um, I mean, his, he his he was the head researcher of the CDC, and that guy really was probably the most prolific coffee researcher ever. Perhaps there's. Perhaps there's people in companies like Illy that are as prolific, but most of that stuff is, is private and doesn't ever get seen by anybody else. Yeah, they, they do release some books. Um, in fact, you can get one on Amazon right now. It's from like early 2000s that is pretty pricey, but they do release some of that. Illy does. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah. 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 The Lockhart stuff overall was a little bit more about brewing. It wasn't about espresso, whereas Illy is almost always about espresso. And yeah. the Lockhart stuff was... What the, what the Coffee Brewing Center did way back when was pretty interesting is they did all of these little, say, five or six page booklets, if you will. They were they were quite affordable. Maybe they were a couple of dollars. And each one represented a research project, whether it was uh, having hundreds and hundreds of people taste coffees and rate them. And then they did uh, they did a TDS and extraction analysis by dehydrating the coffees in, in ovens to figure out what the extraction level was. And they they mapped out, they were the first people to map out, you know, what extraction levels people prefer. They, they right. did a lot of experiments like that, and then they published them in these very cheap little brochures. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, that information, though we have the internet, when you're buying books, <laughs> is a little more of a dollar than, than two dollars. Yeah. You know? But, yeah. And, and that kind of uh, naturally goes into our next uh, series of questions here. You've written uh, a good many book uh, on coffee. Um, yeah. Would you mind just uh, spitting off for us what you've written? Sure. I've written three hardcover books and one short ebook. My first book was called The Professional Barista's Handbook, and it was, call it 80% about espresso and 20% about filter brewing, a little bit about water, a little bit about tea. It was yeah. sort of, to me, it kind of reflected uh, a balance of what a barista working in a cafe would, would want and need to know about coffee making, both from a scientific and a practical perspective. Um, I, I didn't write the book with the intention of making money or making a career as a writer. In fact, I, I, I never considered myself a writer. Um, but I, I just thought, you know, I had, I had some time on my hands after selling my second business and I thought the industry really needed a book like that. And it never been an accurate, practical, professional how-to book. And I saw it more as a service to the industry. So I, I devoted about a year to researching, writing and mm. you know, the, the production of the book and, Ultimately, I was I was really thrilled because it sold much more than I expected it to. So I actually made a little money on it, and that motivated me to to get into writing. 
Yeah, that's very curious. I mean, uh, about how long do you think it took you after you started in coffee at the age of 22 to feel confident in your knowledge base to even begin going on this venture of writing? Uh, you know, these things just kind of happen to you in life. And I'd been in yeah. coffee for about 14 or 15 years when I wrote that first book. So I had enough practical experience. I mean, I, I literally had served with my own hands a million copies by then. Um, I'd run some extremely busy coffee shops and I, I worked the bar more than full time during my 20s and 30s. And uh, so I had a lot of practical experience. Yeah. Um, and, and that definitely comes out in that book specifically, the professional Brees' handbook mm-hmm. that totally comes out. And I think that's part of the reason it probably sold so well is because it was relatable. It was very, you know, the other stuff you read, the other stuff you grab onto is very kind of cut and dry graphs, what have mm-hmm. you. And this was like, I can relate to that. It makes sense. Yeah. And it was funny at times too. I think your humor comes out in the book <laughs> as well. I'm sometimes a little sarcastic. <laughs> um, you know, the, the point of the book, and I think I said this in the preface, was basically that as a barista for 14 years, I wanted to write the book that I would have wanted all those years. Right, because right. It, it frustrated the hell out of me that there was nothing. I mean, there was David Schomer's book, which, you know, when it came to making espresso was was interesting, although uh, there, there was a lot in the book that once I'd had enough experience in coffee, I found many things in that book were either a little bit inaccurate or a little bit too focused on his particular scenario in his coffee bar. Hmm. And I wanted to offer something that kind of was more about offering the tools to be able to approach situations and figure it out for yourself. Um, and so, yeah, just, I just wrote the book that I thought as a barista that I, I would like to read, you know? Right. And that was sort of the launching point for your other books you said. Yeah. So, uh, a couple of years later I wrote everything but espresso, which, uh, was mostly about manual brewing and, and batch brewing, uh, all the non espresso brewing techniques more or less. And the goal there was really to, to kind of replicate what I did with the professional barista's handbook, but, but focusing on non espresso beverages, um, and, you know, that that was satisfying. And I felt like at the time, I don't know how long you guys have been in coffee, but back then I, I was I was desperately pushing people to do simple things like weighing coffee when they brewed it and weighing coffee for cupping and stirring pour overs. And for, for literally for years, 90 percent of the feedback I get was mockery. Yeah. And there was so much hostility and mockery towards me. Now, some of it could have been bad personality. Some people don't like that I'm extremely direct. Uh, and sometimes I seem arrogant to people. Um, but but really, the hostility was was ridiculous because all I was trying to do was communicate with people about some rational concepts about coffee making. A lot of people kind of took it personally hmm. and felt a little bit threatened because their attitude and, and, you know, we've seen this, we've saw this when the refractometer came out. We still see this with, with roasting and all the attitude was really, my coffee is great because I have some special skill. Hmm. And then, and then when somebody sort of more systematic comes along and says, here's a system, those people feel a little threatened because yeah. the system kind of puts their skill out of business, so to speak. And then, then, you know, they, they lose their status. Um, and anyway, there was, there was a lot of that. I, I took a lot of, crap for that book for a while and uh my friend ryan and i used to joke that that it it would take five years i'd write a book and it would take five years for people to go from hating me to grudgingly accepting me to then saying that they kind of agreed all along with what i said (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of true isn't it 
it's totally true. And with, with the roasting book, I'm, I'm more than 50% of the way through that process. Thank God, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. So, so Scott, do you have any other publications, uh, that you're thinking about writing, uh, well, anything else on the way? Well, he's working on the roasting. Yeah. So the roasting book, uh, came out a couple of years ago. Uh, that went, that went well between all those. I wrote a, I wrote a short ebook that was sort of a really geeky technical espresso and was wasn't meant to be for everyone. It was more meant for the the truly geeky professional barista. Um, so I've been I've been working on some writing recently, but um, you know I'm actually to to be honest I I'm kind of on pause in this current project that was another barista related thing because the book industry has changed a lot since mm-hmm. I since I wrote my first book, and the problem really is that I, I enjoy writing and producing hardcover books because there's something satisfying about a real book. But the the reality is that ninety percent of customers want ebooks, and right. Right. the unfortunate reality is that ebook piracy is, is rampant. Hmm. And I, if you do the math with reasonable assumptions, it's really not worth me spending a year of my life and spending you know twenty or twenty five thousand dollars to produce a book and then to basically have it be pirated by ninety percent of people. So right. sure. it's I've been working on a solution to that, and it's it's not easy. I mean, in my in my recent tour for work I had all these young guys walk up to me proudly showing me their pirated copies of my books they thought I would be proud of them or impressed that they had the technical skills to steal my books and uh, so so there's obviously a little bit of a disconnect in the world whereas most people in Western Europe or the US don't pirate too much uh, the rest of the world piracy just seems like a given hmm. uh, and unfortunately, once those people put it online, anyone anywhere in the world can find it. Right. right. It, it just takes one person to, to steal exactly. that information, right? Exactly. That's, that's really unfortunate. I guess that is a you know a small talking point that it's it's unfortunate that you're even pausing, uh, pausing in a in a sense because of piracy. Like that's information now that is not going to be released. Like that's you know potentially very valuable information to people who want. To learn more, you know, from your experience because of stealing, essentially. And so, yeah, and I've been I've been working with some extremely smart people from the online media industry who have had some suggestions about how to approach this, and and hopefully we'll come up with a solution that that won't make piracy just you know it, it'll hopefully it'll it'll moderate the piracy enough that it, that I can at least justify spending a year working on a book, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I can say for sure there are plenty of people here. Uh, we're in Austin, Texas, who, you know, in the coffee world have read the Professional Barista's Handbook. And it's been it's, it's been a game changer, even in the I think in the culture of Austin's coffee scene. And so, uh, yeah, it's cool to see um, sort of that power of writing and, and what it can do uh, in a culture as cool as Austin. So well, thanks for saying that. Absolutely. Um, so. Let's go ahead and let's go back to kind of, you know, you have so much experience um, in cafes, obviously. Um, so for someone like yourself established in the industry for so many years, I'm wondering what has been your experience with homebrewing? So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You know, uh, you'll be surprised, but the answer is very little. Wow. <laughs> shocked. Because shocked. Every, everyone's always surprised by this, but but realistically, I mean, for the last 22 years, I've either been spending all of my waking hours standing behind a coffee bar or basically writing about it or teaching other people how to do it. And right. uh, 
kind of the last thing I want when I'm home is to make coffee. It's just, <laughs> How dare it's you? Really, you know, it's one thing if I have some sort of experiment I really want to pursue, but other than that, I would much rather boil some water and make some tea and not worry about coffee at all. Oh <laughs> man, I want to I want to bug you about tea maybe at the end of this interview because I really want to hear your thoughts on that. All right. Um, but uh, do you have, do you have any recommendations? I, I know you you just said you don't have a lot of experience. Do you have rec- any recommendations for our listeners who are home brewers? They're not, you know, they're not professional baristas. They're not out there in the cafes sure. making coffee. Absolutely. Um, if you're gonna make filter coffee at home, uh, if you if you're going to make one cup at a time, I think a really simple recommendation is to use the clever dripper. Because wow. follow it that yeah. <laughs> the clever is the thing is is clever. I don't know why, but the clever is not as sexy to people as the V60, and it's certainly not as sexy as the Chemex. To it's very sexy to me, just so you know. Awesome. Well, you know, there's 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 someone for everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah, there is. So, um, but the clever is so hard to screw up, hmm. whereas something like the Chemex is is incredibly hard to do well. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to get too into that, but actually, just yesterday I published a blog post about just that. If anybody feels like reading it on my blog. Yeah. Um, so, but the clever is great in the sense that the clever, you, you pour some hot water over the grounds, you put a cover on it. A few few minutes later, you, you drop the thing on a cup. You, you basically have to spend about two seconds stirring the thing and you're going to end up with a pretty high quality extraction. Uh, and it's, it's, there's no mess. It's so easy. It's, oh yeah. No. So uh, I really like the clever for that. Yeah, that's actually we're we're drinking coffee from a clever. That clever's like um, my go-to for sure. Yeah. Um, you read the blog post? I actually haven't read the blog post. I was just going to ask you, do you do you have a recipe on the blog post as well? People can kind of latch themselves onto. I don't. I'm trying to make the blog more about opinions and concepts and less about uh, prescriptions. Yeah, totally. I haven't have done that because the the books are partly for prescriptions and my consulting work is for the more serious prescriptions. So. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, if you take something like a 16 to one ratio, mm-hmm. if you, if you grind, I don't know, what kind of grinder do you have at home or at your office? The Baratza. Oh, yeah, Baratza. Yeah. Okay. I don't know the Baratza numbers. I apologize, but you're, you're somewhere between, you know, sort of fine and medium call it. And, you know, you, you pour the water over the grounds, maybe give the top of the surface just a, a tiny swish, swish with a spoon, hmm. put the cover on it, wait about three or four minutes, depending on your grind. And then just before you set the clever on the cup to drain, take the spoon again and just give it a couple of thwacks back and forth in the surface just to just to break the surface and get the, the slurry moving slightly. Because if the slurry is moving ever so slightly when you put it onto the cup, then the, the grounds around the top edge won't stick to the filter. That's really Oh, oh that's cool. That's it's a just, super cool trick. Yeah. 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 And then and then once it's draining, if you've done everything well, you really won't get stuff sticking to the side of the filter. If you ground way too fine, right. you will get stuff sticking to the filter. And there's ways I talk about in the blog ways of mitigating that if you have this problem. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Man. Well, well, we'll definitely we're going to link uh, to all your information uh, on the podcast on the Instagram, too. Uh, so we'll we'll link to your blog on that one. Yeah, 100 percent. So, Scott, you you say that, you know, you, you've spent 20 years of your life behind the uh behind the counter and you've you your homebrew experience uh has almost been non-existent so i'm going to dive into the the cafe for a mm-hmm. second here and, and ask you uh you know what are your you know pet peeves about the cafe or baristas mm. uh, you know just just you know common quirks that you notice happening over and over again that you've got to correct uh you know, just right. take it away uh, i don't think we have time for that <laughs> <laughs> all the pet peeves huh? yeah no, I think 
I think fundamentally the biggest issue universally in, in cafes in America is attitude. Amen. Um, wow. It's just, you know, I can deal with mediocre coffee. I can deal with anybody who's being nice and putting effort in. I'll, I'll take anything from them. But sure. there's so many cafes where for some reason, I don't know what it is. Baristas feel like they have a little superiority complex. Yes. Um, and, you know, I've had, I'll give you, I'll give you an interesting quirky little story. So, I went to San Francisco, which is one of the great uh, offenders when it comes to rudeness to customers. Hmm. And, <laughs> Good to uh, know. I'm not afraid to say that. They've offended me so many times, I, I happily say it publicly. Um, I went there with um, a guy who's literally, to my mind, the best cupper I've ever been in the same room with in my life. And we ordered a siphon of a coffee, and this was about 10 years ago, and, and the siphon was $12. So this is a substantial price for a cup of coffee yeah that's very so, the barista after sort of preening and doing whatever he was doing he took about 15 minutes to make our siphon and then he, he delivers it to us and before we even drink it both of us look at each other and the the smell of rancidity and and off flavors from this coffee was so great we couldn't actually drink it it was disgusting yeah so i did take a sip just because i had to and i, I turned to the barista and i said i'm sorry but this is really bad can we have something else and the barista said to me, it's not bad. It's great. I said, oh, really? I said, you can taste it. He's like, yeah, it's the blah, blah, blah coffee from blah, blah, blah. And I said, I understand that the coffee is potentially great, but this cup is disgusting. Yeah, Would you like right. it? And he kind of puts his hands on his hips. He's like, yeah, tell me why. So I, I oh, was wow, kind of yeah. – it took about 10 minutes to explain to him every mistake they may have made during their roasting and the extraction, et cetera, et cetera. And his response to me at the end of that was – if I had known you knew more than me, I would have just fixed it for you. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't about the customer. It wasn't about the $12. It was for him. And this was very illuminating for me. For him, it was whoever knows more gets to have the attitude. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't like being rude to him, baristas, but he kind of, he kind of asked for it with his approach, you know. I mean, I, when I have a staff, I tell them on day one, I'm like, if a customer ever asks for anything you can do, Say yes. Right. Mm -hmm. That's as long as it's not as long as it's not you know dangerous, absurd, or personal. You know. Right. Just, just <laughs> do you, do you, you include know. that in your? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm like <laughs> you know, never never put yourself in danger. Never blah blah blah. But it's like basically right. figure out how to do whatever it is the customer asks because even if it seems crazy, even if it's going to cost us money, do it because it makes people happy and that's what our goal is. Right. And Scott, I feel like just in that one. That wasn't one pet peeve you just mentioned. You just unfolded like the major issue in the coffee and the specialty coffee world, I think. And yeah. as far as hospitality goes, yeah. um, you know, you kind of touched on the barista didn't really know what could have been like. He didn't know it was a bad cup of coffee. Right. And the knowledge base wasn't there. And then on top of that, he the feeling of like, hey, if you know more then that gives you the right to have the attitude like you just touched on so many things. We can't even begin to dive into that. So and it's and it's sad because you know the reason people go to coffee shops primarily is to improve their day. Yeah. You know it's it's a break from work. It's it's a place where they feel comfortable. It's a second home. Maybe it's a haven because their their first home is a terrible place. It's all of these things and and the number one thing you can do is just be nice to people. You know? And I mean if any of my staff had ever done what that guy did it's like beyond the fact that they'd be immediately fired. I don't yeah. know what I would do. It's just you know it's such a well, and yet they're out the door. There's companies that cultivate that attitude hmm. that, you know, they have this sort of we're better than everyone attitude and it, and it, it kind of hurts. It's, it's very disappointing. I feel like, uh, 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather think that all that stuff is just, you know, never an issue. And we can just talk about coffee brewing all the time. But, but if you say pet peeves, it's like, it kind of has to, you know, begin with, with the way people treat each other, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt on that. I, yeah. I mean, that is just such a huge animal. Um, yeah. well, we're not going to have too much more time here, but I want to ask you about something I feel like our listeners uh, and the whole spectrum can can kind of gain from you. And that's on the topic of extraction. And this can be a very confusing idea to people and a very confusing concept. And I was wondering, have you over the years found a way to make extraction really simple to explain? Or is, it, is there an easy way to to explain it in a way that makes sense to everybody? I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. Um, so let's say you use 20 grams of, of coffee grounds to make a cup of coffee. Now, the some proportion of those grounds are going to dissolve into the water. So, for instance, if, if two grams dissolved into the water, you would have a 10% extraction because two grams out of 20 dissolved into your cup. Hmm. So usually we're aiming for something like 20%. So we're aiming for something like four grams out of 20 to get into your cup. So that's all extraction is. Now, when it comes to, we talk about under extraction, over extraction, it happens to be that flavor and extraction level are very well correlated. And if you extract very low, let's say a number like 17%, coffee tends to be kind of sour, hmm. generally. And if you way over extract, let's say you're at 23, 24%, it's over extracted, it's a little bitter and astringent. It's a little bit like if you leave a tea bag in hot water for too long, the tea becomes bitter and astringent. Right. Right. So that's sort of the spectrum and when you hit it just right you've got the strength you want and you've got a balanced flavor so that's what that's all extraction is really so you just summed up our whole homebrew series in, in a in, sentence in 30 and seconds there yeah <laughs> that was excellent that's really that's really why we brought you here today yeah on the nah. there. <laughs> <laughs> no no i'm just kidding but yeah extraction has been that thing and and that was an excellent explanation uh so we appreciate that for sure and i'm sure our listeners will as well um okay. I had a personal question for you that is just for me, um, and it was whether or not you have a preference between uh, spouted portafilters and naked portafilters. I'm just so <laughs> curious. I actually I prefer the, the bottomless, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's only one reason in my mind to use the spouted portafilters, and that is if you are planning to what we call split shots. In other words, use one portafilter to produce two separate shots that will go into different drinks. Right. So, for instance, in Australia, where beverages are small, almost everybody splits shots. People use spouted portafilters and they dump one shot into each drink. Okay. Right. Um, what I like about bottomless portafilters is that they're an awesome feedback tool. So, even though I've pulled as many shots as anybody has ever met, I've ever met, I like to watch the bottom of the portafilter as often as I can. Yeah. I'm pulling a shot to see did I channel. Am I getting any sort of favoritism of one area over another? Is there any sort of pattern to that kind of thing? And it's good feedback that makes me a better barista. And I have to think that less experienced baristas really need that feedback too. So uh, that's, to me, there's, there's not much else to the issue. I mean, I know, I know if you line up a spouted versus a bottomless shot, they won't taste identical. But without getting too deep into it, I don't think that actually means that there is a pattern that one tastes versus the other. Right. It's it, it's more that you're you're deflating the cream a little bit. You're taking some of the gas out when the when the when you're using a spouted portafilter, and the coffee has to kind of pass over that hot metal 
um, you know, kind of inner parts of the, the spouts before it you know gets into the cup, and it, it just ends up coming out as a slightly different textured coffee. Hmm. Definitely, yeah, yeah, and 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 frankly. I always was curious too with the spouted if you're splitting, you know, so-called splitting a shot, how do you know what's going on the left or the right? Like, how do you know what is being extracted where? Like, is that sure. really, is that a, a real concern or is that just, you know, who blocks? You know, it, it is a real concern because uh, a lot of portafilters are not made well when it comes to that. So there's, there's two issues there. One is, I don't know if you've noticed that a lot of portafilters have that little screw in the middle of the spouts. Right. And the idea there is that you can tweak the screw to kind of make the flow from one side come out a little more or a little less, that hopefully you can get the flow to be balanced between the two sides. Hmm. Assuming you're getting the same flow from each, each spout, right. I, I wouldn't really worry about the chemistry of them being different. Okay. Hmm. Um, okay. But the, the, probably the bigger issue, which is a funny thing and something that Bottomless really helps with, is not all espresso machines are perfectly level in all directions on the bar. Okay. So mm -hmm. if your espresso machine is tilted slightly forward or tilted slightly to the right, however you want to look at it, um, you A, can get channeling more often on one side of the, the basket than another, and you wouldn't know that without a bottomless. And B, if you're using spouts, if the, the spouts are not completely level in all directions with each other, you might get more flow out of one spout than the other. Yeah, right. that, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah and I even see like, uh, you know, cafes, they'll just run their group head and see like the angle if their water is actually like angling mm -hmm. off the machine and that's like a one way to make sure that you are level right um, so a little little trick for you if you're going to go level on the machine. don't just take a level and just stick it on top of the machine take the level and hold it up from below touch the group heads with the level oh interesting yeah because yeah. i've actually seen so i had an espresso machine once where it always channeled uh, to one side of the basket and I knew it wasn't it wasn't us We were doing everything we could to fix this problem It wasn't us and the machine was completely level on top and I was so stumped So one day I just stuck the level up from underneath on the group head and I realized that the group heads weren't Mounted level on the machine, right? Ruh -roh. So the top of the machine was level counter was level everything was level except the group head was slightly crooked So if you're gonna use level stick it up against the group head and check it in all directions. Yeah, once check we figure we fixed this whole channeling problem. Awesome. So, so taking everything just a little bit of a different direction, I've heard this said before, um, and I wanted to know your thoughts on it. Um, so, you know, re with respect to sustainability and other coffee ethics, some say baristas are the front lines of the industry. And I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Not really. I understand. I don't, not really sure. I yeah. I, I'm sorry. It wasn't phrased necessarily the best way it could have been. So, there's this idea that baristas are the front line of the coffee industry, that they are kind of the, the spokesperson, so to speak. So when conversations about sustainability and things like that arise, they're kind of called as, as the trumpet to those, to those causes. And I was wondering, do you, do you think that's true? Do you think that's the position that a barista holds? Or is that something they should, uh, should bring to, to guests and customers who are coming in? Or what, what's your perspective on that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to limit most of what I talk about publicly to how to make coffee because I feel informed about that. I don't feel right. well informed about a lot of other stuff. I mean, I'm not sure if the barista is the quote unquote front line. I mean, the barista is who has the most interaction with the public and the barista is sort of a cog in the wheel of, of this whole sort of process from, you know, seed to cup. Um, so they certainly have a potential role, but, uh, 
yeah, I, I, I really don't know how to answer your question. I apologize. No, no, no. I respect that. Yeah, totally. That's... Well, Scott, we're running here to the end of the interview, and I would just like to, you know, do the closing bill with you. It's just a round of short shot questions. Okay. And I'm going to take it away here. So the first one being, what is your most memorable coffee experience? Oh, boy. Big question, I know. I'm, trying, so... to, I'm trying to stump you here. All right. I know this is quick, but can I tell you a story? Please yes, do. Yes. Stories are great. All right. So about 15 years ago, I went to Bolivia to visit my friend Chris, who had moved there. And Chris's father-in-law ran this uh, tour company where they owned a bunch of Land Rovers or Jeeps or such, and they, and they basically had a driver, and they would take tourists around. And so we did this four-day classic Jeep tour of an area called the Altiplano, which was this high plains of Bolivia. And it's, it was a fascinating trip. It was, it was the most remote places I've ever been in my life. And it was amazing and rugged. And there were no petrol stations. There were no roads. There was no nothing like that. And our driver's name is Marino. And Marino was easily the toughest human being I've ever met in my right. life. Okay. So Marino looks at me. He sees this little, you know, rich white guy, basically. And he kind of just hates me. You know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm nothing to him. Fair enough. So, you know, he just he treats me with disdain, right, rightfully so. You know, I mean, the guy's life was incredibly hard, and he just treats me with disdain for days. And then one morning we we have breakfast, and we're actually sitting in this lovely hot springs that spills over into a lake, and it's just the most amazing place you could possibly wake up and have breakfast. And we were at a high altitude, and I figured out that if I just boiled water like cowboy coffee, it was the perfect temperature for coffee brewing. Wow. It was about 198, 199. Yeah. So, and I brought some beans that I'd roasted. I brought what at the time were some of the most expensive beans in the world, actually. This was a long time ago, mid 90s. And I brewed this cup of coffee and I handed it to Marino. And Marino drank the cup of coffee and he looked at me and he got really silent and he says, You, you, you make this coffee? I said, Yeah. He says, You, you roasted this coffee? I said, Yeah. He says, You're a good tourista. <laughs> wow oh that's awesome one over the world's toughest man with a cup of coffee so that was that was probably my most memorable coffee experience in you, a way. Sh- you should definitely include that on your credentials like whenever you go anywhere <laughs> this, this guy i know you can edit this out if you want but this guy our jeep got stuck on a hill literally in the middle of nowhere i mean there wasn't another town for five hours in any direction on a dirt road so he lifts up the hood. He looks inside. He takes off the fuel hose. He sucks the fuel out of the fuel hose with his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> he spits it onto the ground. He reattaches the fuel hose, and he starts the car, and it worked. What? what? This is this is how tough he was. He was <laughs> This wow. guy's at 17,000 feet altitude and just spitting out gasoline out of his mouth. <laughs> that with is his insane in, in the greatest of ways. I, I kind of want to meet this man. Yeah, yes. imagine why I was guy <laughs> yeah yeah for sure wow scott that's that's an incredible story um and now here's a here's another one here's another short shot question and that is what was the number one best piece of advice you've ever received okay i'm telling you i'm going for the hard questions here i i had a really difficult decision to make about 20 years ago and one of my customers she was this brilliant professor at amherst college her name was jenny Kalik. We're, we're still friends and I went up to Jenny and I said, Jenny, how do I make this decision? And she said, anytime you're in this situation, think about what you will be proud of yourself for when you look back on this in the future. Hmm. And that, as soon as she said that, it crystallized. I'm like, okay, every time I have a tough decision in my life, I will attempt to make the decision that I'll be proud of myself for years down the line. Because yeah. basically, yeah. You, have, you have to live with yourself and your conscience forever. Yeah. 
No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That's it great. doesn't go away. Hopefully, I mean, shouldn't go yeah. away. <laughs> now, Scott, I've got one more question for you, and that is, what is your most valuable coffee resource? You know, books, websites, programs, applications. Uh, what is something that you couldn't do coffee without? Um, I mean, I, I think that uh, I think almost universally for for most people in the business, having a refractometer is probably the most useful tool. I mean, I've I've gotten to a point in my life where I don't necessarily use one every day, but but using one every day for years and years and years really taught me more than anything else did, and really helped me you know, get my coffee in line and become very consistent. So I think it's, to me, it's been the most valuable tool in my career. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott, I think that that wraps up our interview. Um, you know, we're very thankful. Our listeners, I'm sure are thankful. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we just, we're thankful for your time. I'm and... glad to have you on the show. And uh, thanks again for talking about uh, your coffee experiences, your awesome coffee stories. And, <laughs> uh, and hopefully one day we can, we can actually drink you know, a cup of coffee from you, Scott, that would be, uh, that would make my day. Yeah. Well, I will, I will send you some in the future. I promise. Very good. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Right. Scott, thanks, thanks so much. Well, there you have it. Scott Rayo on the coffee podcast, giving us all the golden coffee information. We thank him again for being on the show. You can find Scott's stuff at scottrayo.com forward slash blog. If you want to read his blog, Everything's there on the website, the books we talked about and everything else, guys. Thank you for listening. As always, tune in next week for another episode of The Coffee Podcast. Happy brewing.